Well, welcome everyone. So good to have you with us again. Hey, before we dive into the word today, I wanted to mention something really cool. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we had a Thrive Kids Praise and Worship Night, and uh, there are a couple of things to celebrate. The first is this, over 40 kids that were a part of that night together. Uh, uh, Rosie Vasquez, our kids, Thrive Kids director, and her team did a phenomenal job uh, both just getting the word out about the event, but then also facilitating that. And then the other thing to celebrate is this, that there was an invitation given for kids to give their life to Jesus, and 14 kids said yes to Jesus for the very first time. And so we, we, it, we celebrate that with all of heaven, as the Word of God says, that there is a celebration that takes place when just one person gives their heart to Jesus. And so uh, an amazing time. So thankful for that ministry and for ministry to our kids. Uh, do make sure to check out. There's monthly events for kids. We have another one coming up uh, here in just over a week, a cookie decade, decorating event. Uh, you can go to thriveglendor.org to, to, to check that out and to sign up. So get your kids involved. Invite any kids you know to be a part of that in a special time together. But thank you, Jesus. 14 kids who said yes to Jesus. So good. So good. Well, we are continuing in our series entitled Restoring Rhythms. And I want to mention today at the end of the message, we'll actually be receiving communion together. Communion together. So if you don't have the elements ready, please make sure to get those. Uh, receiving communion will actually tie in with our message. Uh, and so uh, watch all the way through to the end, receive communion together, um, and we'll have just an opportunity to sit with the Lord and allow Him to examine our hearts. We have been talking about restoring rhythms, and out of uh, over the course of this last year, rather, we've we've seen so much disruption. Uh, we're coming up really on the one-year uh, mark of the lockdown of stay-at-home orders. Uh, realizing that COVID, we knew of COVID before March of last year, but it's really mid-March that things really hit in earnest and we were uh, forced uh, to stay at home, Ch restrictions were imposed, uh, and just the world changed. The whole world changed, felt like almost overnight. And, uh, and in the midst of that, so many of our regular rhythms, going to work, going to school, going to church, being around family, being around friends, so many of those rhythms were disrupted. And so in the midst of this series, we've been talking about what does it look like to restore some of those important rhythms in our lives and in healthy rhythms. Uh, we need to understand that there's a, a way to have unhealthy rhythms in our lives. We need to establish healthy rhythms and reclaim some healthy rhythms. So finding the place for worship and for, for friendship and recreation and rest and all of those things that God intends for us. Um, today we're shifting the focus. We've talked about, uh, we've talked about our, our need to connect with God and for a time of uh, silence in his presence, time for rest, time for spiritual disciplines. Uh, but today I want to I kind of shift the focus. Now we're going to talk about our relationships with each other. Uh, and we need connection. We need connection. You can need people to connect with. I need people to connect with. Uh, we are wired for relationships. And like most of us, even the introverts around, uh, amongst us rather, have craved relationship over this last year as we've not been able to go out and be with people with the level of freedom that we've enjoyed uh, before COVID was even a thing. 
And in the midst of that, I imagine that for for most of us, we've really come to value to a greater degree the the value of, of family and friendships, the place that those relationships have in our lives. When I tell you, there's also been a shadow side, a dark side, if you will, of uh, what's it, that that that's really emerged over the course of this year and what's been happening? Uh, it's kind of a blind spot, if you will. Uh, what we've noticed, what I've noticed, what you've probably seen, is that over the course of the year, that there has been so much division. There has been so many places for our our culture, for our nation, for people to be divided for there to just be a polarization of sorts that would would take place in in all different avenues of life in all different ways whether whether socially politically religiously surrounding covid and everything that goes with that there's just been a lot of disagreement and a lot of very vocal disagreement and in the midst of that i know i know personally of so many relationships and friendships that have been fractured or broken and you're probably aware of many yourself. I think what we've seen over the course of the year, in the midst of the pain, in the midst of the brokenness, in the midst of the isolation, that that there has been a bit of a, a bite. There's been a bit of a harshness and an unkindness that's been revealed. Uh, and, and whether that's through social media or through the news media or uh, whether you're out and about and you're seeing the way that people interact with us, there's just gen- generally just this this edge. There's an edge to the way people are relating to each other. And sometimes it's harsh, sometimes it's unkind, sometimes uh, it's just selfish and people uh, really just wanting what they want and pressing on others and and, uh, and not living in a way that is kind. Uh, There's almost been a freedom in the midst of this year that we've had for people to say and do whatever they want to uh, again, whether that's online posting on Facebook or social me- other forms of social media or acting out in, in certain ways. And my goal today is not to address any specific issue or any specific topic, topic or to take a side one way or another. But I want to I speak to the heart. I want to speak to the heart for us as believers, as followers of Jesus, and, and issues that, of the heart that will allow us to to think that we can just live our lives however we feel, to do and, and say whatever we want, not realizing that so often that when we, when we live that way, what we're really doing is speaking out of our own pain and out of our own fear and out of uncertainty. That when it comes to how we live our lives, that our lives are not just ours to live. That when we say yes to Jesus, we agree to we submit ourselves to living his way, living the way that he's calling us to live. And so in the midst of all of this brokenness, and in the midst of all of this polarization, it's been heartbreaking to see so many people that, that would post things online, that would say things out loud, that would act in ways as followers of Jesus that I don't believe line up with the word of God. And you've probably seen the same thing yourself. My heart has been grieved many times. And and whether it's people in the church, people who profess to follow Jesus, or even leaders and and pastors who would speak out in ways that are are not loving, are not kind. And so we have to reclaim a rhythm of 
kindness in our relationships. It's not just that we come back together and re-engage with people. And as restrictions lift and as, you know, as, as uh, vaccines are, are distributed and, and, and numbers decline, that there's a, a relative freedom to say, okay, we're going back. It's not just that we get back in contact with people. It's how we engage with people. Because for some people, this last year has been an inconvenience. It's been an inconvenience. For some of you, maybe listening today and watching today, maybe this year was just a, a speed bump. It was like, man, that was really, that wasn't a lot of fun. That was really inconvenient. But your life wasn't affected too drastically. And for some people, for some of you maybe listening and watching today, this last year was a year marked with extreme loss and grief. This is a year where everything changed. And, and, and whether that was the, the loss of a loved one or loved ones or the loss of a job or just whatever that looked like, health, relationships, finances, all of those things, for many, for so many, this has been the hardest year of their lives. For some people, going back to normal will not be a big deal. Just, I'm, I'm right back there, ready to go. And for, for others, it's going to take time. And if that's you, if, that's, if you're kind of in that second camp, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay to take your time. It's okay to feel what you're feeling and to, to grieve the things that you need to grieve, to walk out and address the, the trauma of what you've walked through over this year. And you're not alone. Uh, I, know, I want you to know that we're here. Our pastoral team uh, is here for you. Our prayer team, if you have prayer requests, let us know. We'd love to pray with you. There is no shame in those struggles, in those burdens. We want to come alongside and help carry those. And more than that, Jesus is with you and walking with you in that. But even there, do you see in speaking of that, for some people it's been, it's been a tough year, but not, not necessarily earth-shattering. And for others, it's been so much. There's, there's a, two very distinct areas and everything in between. Because of that, we have to posture ourselves in a way that says, I want to be gracious and I want to be loving and I want to be like Jesus to people. I think that's the thing that has that rhythm that has to be re recaptured for us and really should always be at the forefront of, a, of our hearts and minds is this, am I being like Jesus in my relationships? See, Jesus lived during one of the most difficult times in Israel's history. A very, very difficult time, in fact. And we know this from history. As we look at recorded history, there's really never been a time where the whole world was at peace. There's always upheaval. There's always pain. There's always sickness. There's always famine. There's, there's always something going on. And it was no different for the time that Jesus lived in. The, the time, those three years of his life here on earth were a time where the, the political systems of Israel were were dysfunctional and broken. Uh, the Romans had occupied the land. They had established kings that would oversee different regions. Every, uh, it was complicated. It was messy. The rules were unclear. Um, people were being uh, abused. Uh, as, even as we, as we think about Jesus being crucified, it wasn't just Jesus. The crucifixion was the Romans' way of uh, it, it, eliciting fear and controlling 
the people. And so it was a very broken time. Religiously, it was very broken. There was deep rifts religiously within the nation and disagreements about how the law should be carried out and how what things should be practiced and, and the posture towards this occupying force. And uh, there was all kinds of divisions that existed there, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the I mean, they just were all at odds with each other. And there, and there just in general was a lot of fear within the nation. And it's in this uh, atmosphere that Jesus is inserted into. It's what he comes and, and makes himself a part of this mix of this, this mess that he shows up in the middle of that. And this is where he divinely times for those three years of ministry, um, starting when he was 30 years old, that he says, this is the moment that I will minister in. So not a, not a time when everything was just easy going, a difficult time. And we can take some comfort in that because we can relate, Jesus can relate to us and we can relate to him. But in the midst of all that he did, Jesus spent a lot of time with people. He spent a lot of time with people. He engaged them. He listened to them. He, he taught them. He laughed with them. He cried with them. He ate with them. He walked with them. He was, he was present with the people. And it can almost seem a little bit odd because he came with a mission. He was here to accomplish a mission. Missio Dei, we've talked about that even over this last year. The mission of God, that he came to accomplish a goal, to, to bring reconciliation between God and man. So why take this extra time? Why, in the midst of this, why not just show up and get the work done? Because I, I don't know about you, but I know so many people, and sometimes I'm, I'm this way as well. I just want to get the job done. Like, there's no time for chit-chat. Let's just get the work done. Now, I am a relational person. I'm an extrovert. Uh, I, I love to be with people. And so if I'm given the option, I'm probably going to default to, hey, let's, let's chat, let's catch up. Uh, but for some, for some of us, it's, hey, work now, talk later. Let's just get the job done. And if you're elbowing someone right now, don't just stop. Because <laughs> we all have our giftings. We all have our strengths. Jesus shows up and he doesn't just show up to get the job done. In the midst of it, he is with people. Why? Why does he take the time to be present? And really the answer to that is it's who he is. That God is a relational God. Remember we started this series talking about how God dances within the Trinity and he invites us into that dance. And that's all about relationship. It's about the relationship first not about what it accomplishes. It's not about getting the job done. It's not about the mission first. It's about the relationship. In fact, the mission was geared towards relationship. It was the whole point was that we, the, the, relation, the broken relationship between God and man would be reconciled. And so Jesus models relationship in the midst of his ministry here on earth. He didn't just always teach. He didn't just always heal. He didn't always, except for the times that he would retreat to be alone with the Father, he was with people. God is all about relationship. And we see this culminating in John chapter 13. This, this scene here is Jesus in the upper room with the disciples, and they're, they're sharing the Passover together. This is leading up to the crucifixion, 
and Jesus' death and then ultimately his resurrection. But he's in this space, in this place, in Jerusalem with his disciples and, and the entourage, who, however many people were with them. And they were eating, and they were reclining, and they were talking. And I imagine there was laughter, and there was some joking around, and maybe a couple of people taking a nap, but they were with each other. They were in each other's space. They were uh, reclining on each other, and they were just in the midst of that culture celebrating God's goodness as they look back at the Passover and God's deliverance of the the children of Israel out of Egypt. And it was a time of celebration And in the midst of all of this, Jesus stops and he grabs a bowl of water and a towel and he starts washing the disciples' feet. And one by one, he goes around the room and washes their feet. With with John, I mean, rather Peter, right in the middle of that going, no, you you won't wash my feet. And Jesus says, no, I have to do this. And if you don't let me do this, you, you have no part of me. And so after he's done all of this, in John 13, Verse 12 through 17, this is what it says. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you, you, he asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. It's a beautiful picture of the heart and the posture of Jesus in the midst of his ministry. You see, the disciples would have been confused, and rightly so, by this act by what Jesus was done. See, the, the foot washing job was reserved for the servant, whoever the lowest ranking person in the house was, because it was a dirty job. It was, it was not a glamorous job. They, they wore sandals, they walked, walked on dirt roads. And so washing someone's feet was not something that someone of a, in a position of authority, if you were a, a teacher, and if you've, certainly if you were the Lord, this is not something that you would do. But Jesus stops and he counterculture, he takes on this posture of a servant and he washes their feet. Not because their feet were dirty necessarily, though I'm sure they needed a good washing, but there's something bigger that's going on. Jesus says to them, do you understand? Do you understand what I've done? And he asks that question because they more than likely didn't understand what he was doing. And he says to them, you call me teacher and Lord. And he says, you're right, I am. That is who I am. I am your Lord and your teacher. But he says to them, but now I, your Lord, your teacher, I have washed your feet. And because of the, my example, you should now wash each other's feet. Was the goal to start a foot washing ministry? No, that's not what Jesus was after What Jesus was saying to them was, listen, not one of you is more important or above the others. That each of you needs to operate the way that I'm modeling for you, that you would serve one another, that you would humble yourselves before each other, that you wouldn't wouldn't put your own needs first, but that you would say, how can I serve? Regardless of position or title, remember, the Lord didn't wash feet. 
That was not the Lord's job. The teacher didn't wash feet. The, 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 the owner of the house didn't wash the guest's feet. The servant did. So for Jesus to do this was a huge statement about what humble service looks like. And he says, now that I've done this for you, now that I've shown you what this looks like, you need to do the same thing. In fact, he drives the point home and he says, no servant is greater than his master. And he's addressing them directly and he's addressing us directly that Jesus is our Lord. He is our teacher. He is our master. And he says that no, or nor is a messenger, excuse me, greater than the one who sent him. And he says, now that you know these things, now that you know that I've given you the understanding, do it. Go and do these things. You will be blessed if you do them. You will be blessed if you do them. This is a picture of servanthood. This is a picture of putting others' needs before our own. In fact, he shares all of this right before he breaks bread and shares the cup. He talks about his body and his blood being broken and spilled, which is why we will receive communion in just a few minutes. In fact, after he's shared communion with them in John 13, 34 and 35, he says, a new command I give you, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. See, church, as the follower of Jesus, we are to be marked by love. This is the, our, our pr- primary identifier. This is the thing that distinguishes the followers of Jesus. And I think the thing that has broken my heart, and for so many of you has broken your heart this year, is that people who profess to follow Jesus have, have not moved and not acted in a way that is loving. And it's not just that it's given the church or Christians or even evangelicals or whatever label you want to use. It's not just that it's given us a bad name. Ultimately, is that it doesn't reflect well on the name of Jesus. We are identified by our love for each other. Does that mean that we can't disagree or debate or, or have a conversation? Not at all. And we see that in Scripture, that there were arguments and disagreements that rose up, but never at the cost of love. That love has to be present, that we have to love, we have to put that first. We can't get those reversed. In fact, Jesus says of Jesus that he came full of grace and truth, because if he came with grace only, there would never be any kind of truth spoken and nothing would ever been confronted. But he didn't just come with truth either, that the truth and the grace go together. So we are marked by love, that this is our mandate, this is our goal, that we would be the people of Jesus Christ who represent him well by loving each other, by loving each other. And that means whether that's on social media or in person or, or out and about. And this doesn't disqualify, this isn't just, just between people who serve Jesus, those who would be called Christians. Really, we need to love all people well. We need to love the way that Jesus loved. Jesus was a friend of sinners, that he loved people that were far from God. Paul, in the book of Galatians, in his letter to the Galatian church, in 
chapter 5, verse 22, presents the fruit of the Spirit. And the Galatian church was a bit of a mess. They were having a lot of infighting. There was a lot of jockeying for position, people thinking they were better than others. Then there was, uh, Paul addresses the issues of freedom. You, just because you have a freedom doesn't mean that you can do whatever you want. Your, your freedom in Christ is not a, 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 just a, a ticket to, to do and say and act in a way that, that doesn't honor Jesus. Don't abuse the freedom. So he gives them the fruit of the Spirit. He says this in 522 of Galatians. The, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, or, or patience as it's translated as well. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. See, Paul had to correct behavior that was out of line in the church in Galatia. He had to remind them that we are called to look like Jesus, to live like Jesus. And the fruit of the Spirit are what we see in the life of Jesus. That's, that's what he modeled for us and for them. And so in the midst of this gathering, this, this church that is growing in that part of the world, he hears these, these reports of what's going sideways, what's not, not working, how they're, they're, they're thinking about their own needs, that they're putting each other down to try and get ahead. And he says, no, 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 no. This is not who we are as the people of God. That those who are led by the Spirit and walk in step with the Spirit, the evidence of that is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. That these things need to be present in our lives. Paul's setting a standard. He's setting a standard, and it's really a theme all throughout the New Testament, and it's this. Be like Jesus. Be like Jesus. Live like Jesus. Follow the example of Jesus. Similarly, Paul says in Romans 12, 9 through 10, he says, love must be sincere. Let me pause there for a second. You can't fake it. Love can't be faked. Fake love is not love. He says, love must be sincere. It has to flow from the heart. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Be devoted to one another. I tell you what, church, I look at the world that we live in and devotion to one another is not one of the marks of our culture. In fact, we've, we have a term for it. It's called cancel culture. Cancel culture. If, if I don't like it, if I don't agree with it, I just, I just cut it out of my life. Now, there's certainly things that are, are, are not Christ-honoring and things that are sinful, and we don't just embrace everything, but it's become all too easy to, to write people off because we don't agree. The Bible says right here in Romans, be devoted to one another, be committed to each other in love, honor one another above yourselves above yourselves, that we would humble ourselves, not just before the Lord, but even before each other and say, how can I honor you above myself? It's not about getting ahead or being right or being the person who, who, who makes the point, drives the point home. How do we step back 
and love each other and care for each other and be aware of the pain in each other's lives and the places where we need to be ministered to and minister to others. Paul also says in Philippians 2, verses 3 through 4, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Nothing. Don't do anything out of selfish ambition. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. It can get more clear than that. And I'll tell you, I had to, there was a bunch more passages that I wanted to include in this, in this sermon, but uh, just for the, for the sake of time, could not. But all throughout, just sprinkled all throughout the New Testament and, and even the Old Testament are these passages that have to do with serving one another, putting the needs of other people first, not looking to our own interests, not, not thinking of ourselves more highly than we ought, as Paul says as well, that we in humility would value And I ask you, church, do you value the people in your life? Do you ascribe value to the people that you're connected to, that you are in relationship with? See, as I mentioned, it's not just about coming back together and starting to hang out with people again and reconnecting. It's also being aware of how we do that. Are we being sensitive to each other? Are we just speaking our own thoughts and opinions or or our own ideas and not being sensitive to those around us? Are we serving each other? Are we being a blessing? Are we ministering to the people that God has placed in our lives? Not looking to our own interests, but into the interests of others. So what does this look like? What does this look like practically in your home? What does this look like in your workplace? What does this look like in your friendships? What does this look like in the church? What does this look like on your social media account? What does this look like when you're driving on the freeway or going to the grocery store? What does this look like? Well, this is, is just practical, isn't it? And we would take a step back and say, is the fruit of the Spirit evident in all of these places, in all of these ways, that we would take an inventory and allow the Spirit of God to show us, say, you're out of alignment, that your rhythm is off, I know over the course of this year, as things would fluctuate and go up and down and just in the house, couldn't get out or not able to go out and and do things that we usually would do, I noticed that I would get more cranky and irritated, that I was lethargic, that I didn't want to get up and and move around as much, that there were places places of my life and rhythms that had been a part of my life before that were just thrown off. And I've had to really work hard as I'm sure all of you have in different ways, to regain those, to recapture those, to reestablish those rhythms. So what does this look like in your home, in, your, in the place, the people that you live with? If you're married with your spouse, if you have kids with your children, if you are a kid with your parents, with, with extended family, are you preferring others? Are you putting the needs of others first? Are you serving the people that God has put in your immediate vicinity and not serving, not serving according to what you think serving is, would they say, I feel like I'm being served, that my spouse is serving me and loving me and valuing me. This is active. This is not something that happens passively in our lives. Jesus actively engaged with people. He actively loved them. He actively served them. He was very aware of what he was doing and he sacrificed to do that. 
Are we sacrificing in our homes to serve the ones that we love, to serve them, to, to, to prefer them, to honor them, to bless them? Or are we saying, oh, I need my needs to be taken care of? The way of Jesus would say, humble yourself. Do some feet washing. What about in your workplace? Do you speak well of your boss to your coworkers? Do you speak well of your coworkers to other coworkers? Is there, is there love and joy and peace and patience? Are those the marks of your life in the workplace? What is your reputation? Do you represent Jesus? Not as a, in a, in a, not a way to shame or condemn, but just simply to say, what are people seeing? As a Christ follower, what are people seeing in your friendships? Are you being gentle? Are you being kind? Are you being patient? Are you being long-suffering and, and patient with your, your friends? Even the ones that disagree. We, church, we need people in our lives that don't, disagree, that don't agree with us. It's how we're stretched. It's how we grow. How do you handle that? How do you handle those friendships? How do you handle the friendships where things have gotten maybe a little, I love the term crispy. Maybe things aren't as fun or easy as they used to be. Maybe you've been offended and you have to process that. How do you love that person? How do you engage? What does this look like in the church? What does this look like in our church? How do we love one another? How do we believe? One of our, 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 our values is grace extended. How, do we believe the best about other people's motives and intentions? We have to allow the Lord to search that. And the online presence, I'll let you figure that one out. Right? We've got to make sure that we're representing Jesus well in every way. Take stopping and taking inventory and saying, Lord, what about me? What does this look like in my life? Allowing him to search our hearts as David wrote. He said, Lord, search my heart and reveal, point out. If there's something that is wayward in my life, point it out. I need to know. What if we ask that question? Jesus, show me. Show me with things out of alignment. Because as we step up our engagement, as we, uh, the doors are opened quite literally to larger and, 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 and greater degrees of engagement from what it's been over this past year. How we engage with people will matter. Will people feel loved? Will they feel preferred? Will they feel honored and valued and served through the way that we engage them? Will they see Jesus in us? And will the world see Jesus in us as they look on? Jesus went to the cross we're going to turn to communion. If you have your, your elements, please, uh, would you, you get those ready right now? The bread and the cup are these representations of Jesus, of his body and his blood. And I think sometimes we, we see them as the, uh, these elements to be celebrated and be remembered and forget that Jesus had a literal body. A literal body that had flesh and bone and nerve endings. He had, a, he had a brain that processed pain and felt pain and felt the things. He felt hunger. We know that from his time in the desert when he was tempted, that he was hungry. He felt the things that we felt. And that, that that very real body went through real pain and real agony as Jesus served us by giving himself for us. It's the ultimate reminder that we're called to serve remember jesus said to the disciples he washed their feet but he was really looking to the cross it wasn't wa about washing feet he was looking to the cross and he's saying i'm setting an example for you to lay your lives down 
for the people that you love, for the people that, even if they don't love you. Jesus went to the cross while we were still sinners. We didn't love Jesus when he went to the cross, but he loved us. In fact, when he hung on the cross, he looked at those around that had crucified him and he cried out and he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. They don't know what they're doing. They're acting out of their pain. They're acting out of their fear. They're they're acting out of their ignorance in the same way that we can do that same thing. And even on the cross, even in the midst of his pain, he said, Father, forgive them. He put their needs first. He put their their needs ahead of his own. See, Jesus felt pain in his body. And so this is a reminder that even though Jesus knew that it would be agony, he chose to do it. To put our needs, to value us above his own needs. That's why we get to break this bread. And as we do, if you have a piece of bread that you can break, would you break that? You break a piece of bread and and it just doesn't go back together the same way. Two pieces have been, uh, one piece has now been broken into two or multiple pieces. Jesus' body was broken. He was beaten. His nerves felt pain. His body felt pain. His brain felt pain. But he did it for us. Jesus, we thank you for your body. This very tangible example, this tangible reminder of the sacrifice you made for us. Thank you. Thank you for what you've done. We receive with grateful and thankful hearts. Church, let's receive the body together, the bread. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And the cup, Jesus says that the cup was the seal of this new covenant, this new covenant of his blood, established by his blood, that forgives us of our sin, that his blood would be poured out so that we could be made whole. So that with his body and his blood, those two things together, that we would receive restoration physically, emotionally, relationally, spiritually, in every facet, in every aspect of our lives, that the cross addresses every part of who we are. And it's sealed in his blood for eternity to say that this blood shed for us forgives us of our sin and reconciles. Remember, this is about relationship. It reconciles the relationship between God and man. And Jesus sets that example and he says, I am going to serve you by taking the step, by shedding my blood so that your relationship with my Father can be made whole. And so Jesus, we thank you for your blood that was shed for us, for the forgiveness of our sin so that we could be made whole. We give you praises we receive together in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, let's receive. I want to encourage you as we close. Would you take some time, either right now or sometime today, would you just get alone with the Lord for a few minutes, for half an hour, however long you need? Would you, would you ask Him? Would you ask Him to reveal? Would you ask Him to show you maybe some places where you need to adjust, where you need to restore some rhythms that look more like Him and less like the world, less like 
our flesh, less what, what, what we want. Jesus, we want to look like you, that the fruit of the Spirit and that love would be the thing that marks our lives in our home first and extending beyond that to the world, that we would allow Jesus to be seen through us. You are loved so much, praying for you. If you have any prayer requests, please let us know. You can fill out a, a connect card or uh, click on that, that link to send an email. We'd love the opportunity to pray with you. It is the first Sunday of the month, so right after this, hop on the Zoom call. We're going to be on Zoom for our after-service connect. Please come hang out. Just pop in, say hi. If, even if you've just got a few minutes, we'd love to see your, your smiling faces. Otherwise, have a great week. We look forward to seeing you next time. God bless you.